Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. (laughs) 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 To celebrate the greatest month of the year, we are holding a flash fiction contest. What is flash fiction? It's basically short stories, but really 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 short stories so if you fancy yourself a writer but you like to write in small snack sized portions less than 500 words then go to the facebook group and join in on the competition today winners will get their story read on the other stories on a volume opener and they will get a free am visit from kez our editor the scottish hawk so post your story directly into the facebook group the deadline is october 15th and a winner will be announced on halloween the rules are no more than 500 words, Halloween or autumn themed, and the deadline is October the 15th. That's on our Facebook group to go and sign up today. Today's episode is Left Behind, written by Kev Harrison and narrated by Alexandra Elroy. People really used to live here, said Luca, looking up at the shells of houses their eyes blacked out windows, mouths agape below the waterline. I steadied myself, hooking the guide rope over a post that thrust upward from the surface. They did. Your dad used to live here. Before he ran away to live in England. Why would anyone do that? I shrugged. Money? Job prospects? Love? I mock-hugged myself, making smooching sounds. Mom, you're absolutely disgusting. 
Lucas shook his head, his mop of black curls swaying. You're welcome, I said. Now, wetsuit, mask. Come on, let's go. Luca tugged on his suit, coming closer to me to ensure the zips and catches were fastened correctly. It was his first time in Venice. My first time since... Since the last time. Since that time. Just being here brought those memories to mind. But I had promised to bring Luca here. Even after the warnings. Even though it was even more perilous than when Gianluca... When he hadn't made it out. This place was a part of him. Through his father. And a part of the loss that we shared. He needed to see it for himself. I could still picture how it was those thirty years ago when we'd met. The desolate place where I'd just docked our boat would have been a mass of pilots and gondoliers jostling for space back then. I looked out across the square, the towering Campanile now leaning at an acute angle, threatening of ruins still to unfold. The polished marble of the piazza itself lent the water that engulfed it a glowing, ethereal quality. Luca sat on the edge of the boat, his mask making cartoonish magnifications of his eyes. What's in the water? I pulled my own mask down, readied my snorkel. Pollutants, increased acid content from the dissolved brick dust and limestone. Oh, and rats, the size of small dogs. Swallow as little of this shit as you can, okay? Fun, he said, then stuffed his snorkel into his mouth. I gave him a thumbs up and he lowered himself into the water. Warm? I asked. Luca nodded and swam off toward the square. I fitted my snorkel and followed. We stopped in front of the old basilica. Fallen marble horses stared back at us, forelegs smashed to oblivion on impact years ago when the floodwaters were shallower. The bell tower loomed over us in judgment, while luxury hotels and cafes in various states of natural decay resembled rich folk fallen on hard times. Still wearing the fancy coat, but filthy, rotting away from within. Where did Dad live? Before? The other side of the Grand Canal, I said, then remembered the canals no longer existed only hinted at now by gaps between the crumbling buildings. This way. I led us through narrow passages and side streets, occasionally puzzling at whether bridges were better passed under or over, until we reached the Rialto district. I think the bridge will still be above the water, I called back. Luca hurried his stroke, moving alongside me. We turned the corner, and the bright marbles shone above the surface. Endless hours of sunlight had yellowed it, but the structure remained intact, carvings as clear as the first time I'd seen them. Holy shit, said Luca. I looked at him disapprovingly. It's much better in real life, he said. True. Let's take a look at the other side. I moved into the street one row back from the bridge and circled, Luca close behind me. I emerged, ready to be wowed by the other facade. Something moved on the surface of the bridge. An indistinct shape, dark, almost black. 
a silvery something jerked into the air from the mass. Then I made out a flash of yellow beak. Don't look! I shouted, holding up my hands. Luca batted them away. Is that a seagull? His voice trembled. Not for much longer, I said and averted my eyes. Those rats are huge. We should get away from... Mum, look up there! My eyes followed Luca's outstretched finger to a window. Glass spiderweb cracked at one side, but still in place. From somewhere within, light flickered. Let's take a look, I said and urged Luca on, swimming down the narrow street to find the entrance to the building. The wooden door stood ajar, paint peeling away, water lapping at a tarnished bronze knocker in the shape of a bearded face, which might have stood at chest height before the deluge. I peered inside, but could make nothing out in the gloom. I don't think we should go in, I said. But there was a light up there. Maybe a candle. It must be a person. Or people. They might be trapped. Luca pleaded as much with his tone as his words. If anyone had been trapped up there since the flood, they'd be long dead. It's been three decades. Please, at least let's see if they're okay. I took a breath and swore at myself for being such a pushover. I shoved the door with my hand. It refused to budge. I paddled backward and flung myself at it, connecting painfully with my shoulder. The door creaked open and allowed us inside. Mannequins hung from the ceiling, all over the room. I approached the closest one and removed my mask. Its face was incredibly realistic. Detailed contours marking the face, the jawline, the eye cavities. I smoothed my fingers over its cheek. The familiar cool feel of plaster of Paris was unmistakable. From the head, the neck extended in bare wire to a crudely fashioned torso, and from there, arms of the same thin metal led to hands which might just as easily have been real. There were no legs. I glanced around, and from what I could make out, the dozen or so others that hung there were the same. Something splashed beyond the extension of my vision. Luca, torch, I said. He fidgeted in his belts, then clicked on the flashlight. I gestured to where I'd heard the sound. The cone of light skittered over the water to the corner. A rodent face scowled at us, baring its long teeth. The rat plunged into the murk, swimming out into an adjoining room, screeching its displeasure. Which way? said Luca. Not the way he went. We moved into a short hallway with stone stairs at the end, leading up. Barnacles and limpets clung to the steps below the water level, bubbles rising from their shells periodically, as if to remind us they were still alive. I dragged myself to the surface and up the next few stairs, my suit heavy with fluid. I climbed silently, but for the periodic dripping, then waited for Luca before proceeding onto the landing. The flickering light from the windows spilled onto bare floorboards from a room on the left side of the corridor. Within the dancing light, a shadow moved. Too big to be a rat this time. I put my finger to my lips, then crept along, 
hugging the wall. I paused outside the room, listening to a voice, muttering in incomplete sentences in Italian, accompanied by the scraping of metal against I didn't know what. I curled the fingers of my right hand around the doorframe. Luca burst past me, his feet thundering on the floorboards. What are you doing in here? I heard a crash and burst into the room to find an old man with an unkept beard on the floor, holding an artist's shaping knife above his head. What the hell did you do that for? I dragged Luca back toward the doorway. Signor, I am so very sorry. Close to the old man's chair was a workbench with a half-finished face, much like the ones on the mannequins below. Is this your work? I asked, moving closer to inspect it. See, si, madame. The man stood, dusting himself off. And do you live here all alone? Is there anyone else left alive in Venice, besides the rats? He lifted the face, stroking the cheek and the contours, reaching down to the mouth. I am never alone. This and the others are my friends, my family. They're so incredibly lifelike. I said, don't you think, Luca? I spun around, realized I was talking to no one. I'm sorry, sir, I'm just going to find my son. One moment. I backed out of the room and into the landing. Luca? Where are you? I scanned the remaining doorways for the flicker of his torchlight. Nothing. I shuffled into the first room. Cloth sacks leaned against the wall, pale dust all around them on the floor. I bent down, searched for a label. Gypsum. I backed from the room and hurried down the hallway to the next. Inside was a wooden single bed with threadbare blankets. A small table with a single candlestick and several boxes of matches on top stood to one side. The room reeked of body odour and old sweat. Two rooms remained. Still there was no sign of my boy. I crossed the landing and went into the room on the same side as the workshop. Lucas stood against the wall, eyes wide, hands covering his mouth. What? I began, but did not finish my question as I saw the row of skulls and hands, a line on top of the dresser. The flesh had mostly been eaten away. By the look of it by vermin rather than by bacteria or the normal processes of decomposition. I felt heat rising in my throat and bent to vomit on the floor, my own steaming pile keeping Luca's company. I wiped my mouth, then reached out to my son with the other hand, holding him close to me. I'm sorry, I sniffed. I'm sorry you had to see this. He squeezed me tightly, his uncontrolled sobbing like gut punches to me. I pulled him close, until his breathing calmed and his tears abated. We have to get out of here, I whispered get back to the boat. You've seen Venice now. You've seen where your dad came from. Let's go. Luca wiped away the tears from his eyes and cheeks and stared at me. Are you joking? We need to stop this guy. He's a monster. We should burn the whole place down. He prized himself free of me and marched down the corridor. I hurried behind, trying in vain to hold him back. As I entered the room, I watched my son throw the man to the ground, then fly onto him and land two vicious blows to his face. The first one glanced off his cheek, 
The second opened his nose, blood splurting over his mouth and beard and onto his tatty tunic. You sick fucker! What did you do to those people? Luca was screaming with a menace I'd never heard in the sixteen years of his life. The man desperately crossed his hands, covering his face. I didn't hurt anyone! I lurched forward and hooked my arms under Luca's, pulling him back. He stumbled to the ground and I held him down while he kicked and struggled. We found the heads, the hands, I managed. The old man reached into his tunic, pulling out a disgusting-looking handkerchief which he held to his nose. Those are my templates, yes, but every one of them was dead before I, before I took them for my studies. Lucas stopped squirming, looked up at me. I covered my face with my hands while I thought. How long have you been doing this? I asked. The old man shrugged. Since they began to abandon the city, I could never leave Venezia. I was already more than seventy when they started the evacuation. It was all I had ever known, so I stayed. Where did you get the bodies? So many bodies? Luca asked, his voice humbled, embarrassed. People like you have been coming here for years, despite the warnings. Adventurous. Some make it out, some not. Two things I learned. Rats are good for, leading you to food, and dead adventurers. He half laughed, then stopped himself, holding his nose and whining in pain. Wait, I said, standing. What do you do with the rest of them, if you only use the skulls and hands? Payment for the rats. I only need the bones for the reconstruction. Sometimes I keep the dead's possessions, especially if they have food. Clean water. Oh, and their IDs. Helps me get an idea of how to sculpt their features, style their hair. My mind raced back to that visit twelve years before. What do you do with the IDs after? Do you keep them? My voice was cracked, strained. The old man pointed to a chest of drawers against the wall opposite. I sprinted across the room, dug into the drawers, where I found piles of passports, ID cards and old, outdated banknotes. Then I froze. Luca appeared beside me as I looked down at a blue plastic card with a grainy photograph and the words Gianluca Paolo Savioli. Dad? I bit my lip and nodded. Then we darted from the room to the stairs, splashing down into the water, forgetting our masks. We swam with all our strength around the first room we'd entered, Luca's lights tracing the faces of each of the hanging mannequins, none of whom resemble Gianluca. We sped into the next room, where another three or four dozen mannequins awaited us. Torchlight flickered from one to the next. Then it stopped. Luca knitted his fingers between those of the strange, wiry puppet. Dad, he said. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. Left Behind was written by Kev Harrison, narrated by Alexandra Elroy, edited by Carl Hughes, and music by Velitai and Tom Robson. The sound effects provided by zapsplat.com. Kev Harrison is a writer of horror and dark fiction living in Lisbon, Portugal. His latest story, Snap, is out now 
in Corpus Press's new anthology, In Darkness to Light, Creature of the Night, while his other work has been featured in a variety of magazines and anthologies. Find out more about him at www.kevharrisonfiction.com. Once again, we are holding a flash fiction competition in our Facebook group to celebrate the greatest month of the year. The winner will get their stories read on a volume open of the other stories, and they'll get a nice little visit from Kes, the editor. So post your story directly into the Facebook group. The deadline is 15th of October, and stories will be open for a public vote, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to post a story of my own. Who knows if it's going to be very good? It doesn't matter. Head over to the Facebook group, post your stories, and I'll see you there. Until next time.